Welcome to a Wandering Witch podcast. This is Navier Alora. I am a natural-born clairvoyant medium, a pagan priestess, and a wandering witch. At the time of this recording, I had just been a guest on the Lighting the Void radio show on the Fringe FM for a very special Harvest Moon show. For those of you who didn't catch it live, I invite you to visit their archives on YouTube or check it out on your favorite podcast app. This is episode 10, a chat with Charles Charlie Logan, owner of the Logan Light Center for Spiritual Healing and Training. Charlie is a second step adept initiate, a ritual master apprentice, and an initiated Celtic shaman in the lineage of King Solomon, as well as a certified healer, life activation practitioner, Insofic Reiki practitioner and the instructor of the Max Meditation System through the Modern Mystery School. Before we get started, as per usual, the guest and I sink in with our breaths and they guide me in a pre-show divination. Here are some snips. The deck that I'm using is the Golden Dawn Tarot because Ooh. I know because we have a plan to talk about um, Kabbalah. Mm. I know, and I'm gonna. I'm hearing pick two more. For each show, I ask for insight from either the tarot, an oracle deck, a rune, or oem stave, or maybe even a fairy card. Our intention for this pre-show divination is to receive a deeper mystical insight for the conversation that is at hand. If you are interested in hearing this reading in its entirety, as well as other bonus content and special features, such as the artist offerings, cruise on down to my Patreon patreon.com backslash a wandering witch i've invited each guest to share an example of their art whatever it may be so that i can share it with you my patrons i really want to create a more intimate experience between the listeners and who you all are listening to the artist offering for this episode our guest charlie logan has gifted our patrons a very special guided meditation audio file. We now join this episode already in progress. We are off on a tangent inspired by the pre-show tarot reading. It will be easy to sink in right when the audio picks up though, so you don't feel too left out. I hope you enjoy the show. All of this communication and speaking your truth from every gender, every aspect of gender, um, so interesting. And and I will loop this back around. Um, wow, I'm a little bit gobsmacked right now. I just posted about, um, there was a meme that someone sent me that said, um, we have to stop teaching little girls that when boys hurt them, they like them. 
Mm. I don't know. If, I don't know if you caught that, but it it prompted me to write about a really powerful experience that I'm still kind of unpacking. You know, almost forty years later, um, when I was eight years old in third grade, there was a little boy that sat next to me. Like you know, they it's one classroom all day kind of Catholic school situation, mm-hmm. and. Um, we would move around our desks a lot. And this little, bo- this little boy that I had never been next to before sit- is sitting next to me. And it seemed like he waited for the right opportunity to start like surprising me with a slap on my thigh. Cause we're wearing um, jumpers and skirts and things. Yeah. And um, he would slap me on my leg. And I remember feeling so startled and not knowing what to do and not, not wanting to make a scene, not wanting to get in trouble for speaking up, you know, all these things flash through your mind. And he kept doing it harder and higher every time. And I got up the nerve to say, you know, stop it or whatever. But of course he didn't. And it seemed like he really enjoyed my discomfort because I was, a feeler even back then. And I remember like sort of sinking into his sadistic kind of energy, you know? And I told my mother that so-and-so was hitting me with the ruler on my leg. And she like kind of giggled and asked if I liked him, if he was cute. And it was just weird. It was a weird reaction, you know, cause she looked at my leg and there was no bruise, but that's not okay. And Right around that time, I went to a pediatrician appointment and told my doctor, and he said, I bet he has a crush on you. And I know. <clears throat> and I remember just feeling like it doesn't feel like he likes me. I don't just utterly bewildered. And this went on for a while. He wouldn't do it every day. So it caught me off guard, you know, this like un- unfamiliar pattern of random um, slapping with his ruler and it was getting um, like more intense when he would do it and more invasive. Like he would lift my skirt or come at me, you know, it was weird. So finally I went to the teacher, I waited for the class to end and I kind of lingered and went up to Mrs. Lynch, like everyone's favorite teacher. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like been has, has no children of her own. Her students were her kids kind of vibe. And there was a Brady Bunch episode where they did a Snow White and Seven Dwarf play to raise money for their favorite teacher. I'm, I'm totally a fan of the Brady Bunch when I was a kid, (laughs) but but she was like that teacher that everyone loved. And, you know, so I woke up to her thinking she'll protect me, you know, she'll, she'll take care of this. It was my last resort. And when I, told her, I said, so-and-so has been hitting me with a ruler, you know, lip is quivering. And um, she looked at me and she said, now don't lie because he's already told me that you're hitting him and I'm going to move your seats because you can't keep your hands to yourself and turned on her heel. Oh yeah. And I thought, wow, he planned all this. He went to the teacher before I could and flipped the story. And I was writing like I would 
not want to see what's going on in his life if he was an eight-year-old psychopath mastermind abuser, you know? Mm. And so many women, just since last night when I posted it, have come onto my page and shared their story of a similar situation or worse, you know? And I just thought we need to, like our silence is compliance with abuse and we need to normalize speaking up and not normalize hurting someone that you love or, or twisting it that if someone hurts you, they love you. So bizarre. It didn't make sense then and it does still doesn't make sense. Please, yeah. Well, there's this kind of accepted way of behavior that is so common in our world of, of exactly what you're talking about, about, about teasing and, uh, you know, ridiculing or, you know, really kind of causing pain, whether it be physical, emotional, mental or whatever, to, to people to show it as a way of liking them. And mm-hmm. I think it was especially uh, prominent and accepted in, you know, in, in, in previous times, but it was almost expected that, that that's a way of, of showing affection. And I see it now in just like some, some older people that I know in relationships uh, and their way of communicating to each other is, is really actually kind of mean, but they it, they presented it in a way of oh, this is loving teasing. But I every mm-hmm. time I experience it, I can't help but think, well, isn't there a way you could express that without insulting the person? Right. Like, isn't there a healthy way yeah. of expressing that? That's not that's not like hiding behind these jokes and jibes that are maybe not meant to be hurtful, but they're still not, but they're still hurtful. <laughs> I mean, for me, and I know that you're a sensitive too, and I will introduce you in just a moment. I'm sorry, we just kind of went right to it, but um, (laughs) yeah, I I know that you're a a sensitive um, as well. And those comments always feel barbed to me. Mm -hmm. They don't feel harmless. They feel like this passive aggressive way of expressing, um, you know, darker feelings that people are uncomfortable with. And it's their way of like, oh, I'm just joking. I'm just teasing. I don't get it. And I'm an only child. So when I see siblings, I see this a lot in siblings. And I'm just, I feel like an alien when I witness this because it feels unnatural and and not what they say it is, just like you're saying, isn't there a healthy way to relate to each other and to show affection? Yeah. Are you an only child? <laughs> uh, I am not an only child. I There are four of us, uh, plus another three for my dad's first marriage. And my mom is one of 11 kids. So I've got cousins uh, galore. Um but uh, but it was very much a thing, and and being the the sensitive person that I that I am, and especially the very very sensitive child that I was, um, you know, I there was a lot of there was a lot of teasing, there was a lot of making fun, and and you know, and, and most of it was supposedly harmless. But I I was certainly I think affected by it more than you know more than some of the others, and it uh you know it it, it leaves some lasting stuff uh, and. I mean, 
is there some good that comes of it as far as, uh, you know, helping me develop a little bit of a thicker skin? Possibly, you know, by all means. But could I not have maybe found a way to develop that same uh, resilience, you know, in a, in a more, I don't know, uh, positive environment? Probably also. So it's hard to say. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, I definitely was the one that took everything a lot more seriously than everyone else. And, and they would, you know, be, be very much just joking. And I would not, I'd be like, but this actually like hurts me. So I don't really understand where the, where the fun and the humor of this is. It's, it's fun and humor at someone's expense. Right. And that doesn't feel like we're laughing together. It feels like you're laughing at me because I'm not in on the joke. Yeah. And it's like um, there might be this wound or this, hmm, I wonder if by poking at some part of you that they are disapproving of, it becomes a wound. Because I was going to say, they're poking at the wound that's there. And I thought to myself, but was it there or did they create it? Mm. You know, because there's so much about my childhood that feels like I was traumatized by, and I felt like I was having people poke in that trauma. But I don't think that I came in necessarily with that wound. I think that it was created by the poking. Mm. Interesting. I always kind of blamed myself. I'm learning so much already. <laughs> um. If you would like to hear the pre-show divination in its entirety, consider becoming my patron at patreon.com backslash a wandering witch. What is Patreon, you ask? Patreon is a platform that lets people, patrons, support people, creators, that they want to support. Creators like me get to create their art and content and share it with the fans or patrons, whereby receiving consistent financial support for their works from the patrons who are interested in what they create. Patrons pay a set fee each month and receive special access to the content that their favorite creators are producing. It really is a win-win. The podcast here for A Wandering Witch Patreon is just $5 a month, and it includes the pre-show divination videos, the artist offerings, show notes, behind-the-scenes post-show solo flights, where I go for a wander on my broomstick and give you all some backstory, plus the random bonus episodes from time to time. I always learn so much from my guests and from doing these podcasts. Oh my gosh, it's been a really cool experience. Welcome. Happy Thanks, harvest. Man. Happy harvest full moon. Oh, it's so and great to, you. to have you. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. Um, we were introduced through a mutual friend and loved one. So thank you. Shout out to Jonathan for the, for the sync up. Yes, <laughs> I'm love so it. grateful. Oh, wow. So we were chatting just a moment ago. I was doing the pre-show divination, the bonus for the 
the Patreon and we just got off on a really cool tangent. And so we're kind of picking up midstream, but wow. So we were going to talk about tarot and the deck that I chose to use is the Golden Dawn Tarot for our pre-show divination. What deck do you work with? I work with the classic uh, Rider Waite. I love that one. I teach um, tarot workshops and that's the one I tell my students to get. It's just the best to, you know, ground level symbolism and get a feel for, for the cards. And they speak to me. I know some people's complaint with the Rider Waite Smith is that um, it's kind of boring or drab, but I don't mm. find that at all. I love it. Well, I just, I mean, for me, the, uh, especially just the way that I learned to read them, like they're so, I don't know, there's, there's so much in every picture that I, you know, I get maybe that they're not the most, uh, you know, fantastical artistry, but for me, the, the symbolism that's packed into each card, there's so many layers of it and there's so much there that, um, I don't know, they, they're, they're just, uh, I don't find them boring at all. <laughs> I agree. I, I never get bored of them. Mm -hmm. I also love the, the radiant Rider weight. It's mm -hmm. a little brighter. Um, but I don't actually have that one. I think I had it and gave it away. Um, how did you get introduced to the tarot? So my teacher and guide in the mystery school, uh, the wonderful and amazing Barbara Segura, uh, also teaches tarot. And it was one of those things that uh, I, I have always on my path been eager for anything that's going to provide more guidance in my life. I um, I, I, I sometimes find that maybe I'm a little bit on the um, dense side when it comes to receiving communication from my guides. I, I frequently joke that they have to uh, often wield energetic two by fours at me to, uh, to mm -hmm. get me to pay attention and listen and hear what they're trying to say. So uh, I'm always on the lookout for, um, for easier ways for them to communicate with me that that are less painful on my end. <laughs> are you a Taurus? Uh, oddly enough, no, I have no earth in my chart. Wow. I know it's crazy, right? I'm a cancer sun, uh, Scorpio rising and Gemini moon. In the tropical? I don't know. In, um, so this is interesting. And we talked about this in the Lighting the Void show last night that I was on um, the Harvest Moon show. I've been really getting into, I'm calling it actual sky awareness. What is going on when you look up at the sky at night versus tropical astrology, which is um, like a snapshot of the constellations around the year zero AD. Mm -hmm. So the, everything has progressed about 24 degrees since then. Ah, right. So it's like everyone was saying happy full moon in Aries last night. And according to the tropical astrology, yes, it is full moon in Aries, according to those charts that they cast in zero AD. But when I look on my 
star map off my phone, the moon is actually swimming in the tail of the Pisces fishes. Oh. Fish. Yeah. So it's fun because we have that technology that we have access to it from our point of view, what's going on with the planetary bodies in the sky. And I've been communicating with them in meditations and things. And it's so interesting. It's just been such a, a wild ride, but mm. yeah. So most people are aware of what signs they are via the tropical astrology system. And then there's the sidereal, um, which is really close to the actual sky situation. So if, if you're a cancer in the tropical, depending on what degree your sun is, you might actually be a Gemini. Yeah, I feel like I've been dabbling forever, but um, we, could, we could pull your chart and, and take a look. Um, but if, unless your sun comes in at more than 24 degrees cancer, you're, you're a Gemini in the sidereal. Which would make me, I'm born the 11th and my son is at, I think, 18 degrees cancer. Ah. It's, it's a, it, I mean, how indoctrinated are we? Is it, is it real or do we just think it is? Right. Um, and what I'm, what I've come to see is that there's actually, um, it's, it's telling different facets of the picture, tropical and sidereal and mm -hmm. Mayan, which is another favorite of mine. Um, it's all telling different aspects of, of the story, different points of view. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. Is there one tarot card that you wanted to tap into that relates to the Kabbalah? Or was it more of like a general symbolism? It's a, it's a general symbolism. The, so according to the teachings of the Universal Kabbalah, which are what we study in the King Solomon lineage, uh, the tarot was actually created as a tool to understand Kabbalah. So the, uh, the, the numbered cards are all associated with the 10 spheres on the tree of life, uh, with the aces starting at the top and working down to the tens at the bottom. And the major arcana are all assigned to different pathways that are connecting the sephira on the tree of life as well. Mm -hmm. So it's a really fascinating, um, it's a fascinating way of looking at it in a way of understanding uh, just one more aspect of the tarot and, and, and the potential origins of it. And the, oh, that just went right out of my head. <laughs> I must not have been supposed to say it, whatever it was. Um, that happened to me earlier. I know, I, I think we like short circuit each other, Charlie. <laughs> You know, I mean, have, have you ever met people that feel like you're occupying the same, the same square with, does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know that I've ever thought about it that way, but yes, it does. And you feel like that with me. <laughs> I feel like we're <laughs> occupying the same square and it almost feels like, do we both have to be in the square? I don't know. It's a nice you know? story about being here. <laughs> I do too. It's so funny. Um, I had an experience with, this is when I realized this, this concept of what we're talking about, the mm -hmm. occupying the same square. I was um, at a festival with these two sisters 
and um, my hair was kind of like blondish brownish. And there was a woman that had raven black hair and the other one had like fire red hair. And we just were drawn together and we're spending this festival, you know, wandering and having adventures. And one night we were sitting in this fairy garden and, you know, I'd find myself in these trios of other witches or other priestesses where there's like a light haired color, a dark and a redhead. I don't know what's going on, witches of Eastwick, but there's something to it because I can name like three or four, maybe five um, situations where that's happened. And so we're sitting in this garden, we're having this, you know, magical night. And this other woman comes in similar, you know, blondish curly hair, also a cancer woman. And I remember thinking, Oh no, now she's here. What am I going to do with like this energy? Like I'm the one <laughs> holding this, this pillar over here. I was so aware that we were both holding this pillar. So she's a really magical lady. And she like sauntered up to this windy oak tree that was in this grove and just kind of like wrapped her arm around it and sort of like merged with this tree. And I realized how we really are this similar, you know, dryad energy mm-hmm. and the guidance was um just merge with her you are the same frequency so don't resist it just be in this square together oh that's lovely yeah and it just all this tension and you know fear of um you know being left out right or being um, overlooked or replaced or just like old stuff left. And I realized I could love and appreciate her as a beautiful mirror and an embodiment of this archetype that we both, you know, get to be these mystical women in this lifetime. You know what I mean? Mm. So, yeah, that was cool. But I, I feel that sort of resonance with you that we have a lot of overlapping um energy and frequency so that's really cool yeah it's awesome um i did though so in the course of that i did finally remember what i was going to say though so i think it helped uh, that helped uh uh ground the uh ground the imbalance i guess good <laughs> you want to think about it uh well i was so when we're talking about the symbolism in the rider weight deck uh and how much there is in there, one of the things that's, one of the layers that's in them is a, a huge amount of Kabbalah symbolism, especially in the major arcana. Um, the uh, the one that comes to mind, especially, uh, there are many cards that have uh, two pillars in the background, um, but the, the high priestess especially, uh, the pillars behind her are, actually have the letters B and J on them. Uh, which the two pillars on the tree of life in Kabbalah are Yaquin and Boaz, um, spelled with a J and a B. So it, like in that one, especially like it's, it's right there clear as day, you know, these, these powerful symbols of uh, the Kabbalah tree of life and the balance of severity and mercy, like right there on the card in the symbolism of the artwork. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to those, the symbolism of those pillars? Um. So when you look at the glyph of the tree of life, there, there are the two pillars on either side, and then there's the pillar in the middle. Uh, the pillar on the right, when you're looking at it, is the pillar of mercy, and the pillar on the left, when you're looking at it, is the pillar of severity. 
which the mercy is the masculine pillar and the severity is the feminine pillar. So the, 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 the pillar of mercy is the pillar of force and the pillar of severity is the pillar of form. And uh, they're both, you know, very powerful energies, but the idea is that we're supposed to be constantly trying to weave the two energies together so that we're living as close to the middle pillar as possible. Mm-hmm. And there's the middle pillar. Mm-hmm. Is that practices like you do? Probably. Yeah. Uh, there are, we have, we have middle pillar rituals in our own practice that uh, I, I would be very surprised if they were, you know, not, not very similar. Um, mm-hmm. I put a lot of negatives in that sentence, uh, but I would, be, <laughs> <laughs> I would expect them to be pretty similar because, you know, the, the middle pillar is a concept that, uh, that permeates through many different um, traditions and practices. And it's, and it's, it, it's all about the, you know, it's all about balance and, and not getting pulled too far to one, one side or the other. Um, you know, I've heard it called the middle path about, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways to express the same concept, but it's about, it's about balance and, and keeping ourselves as centered as possible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that comes to me is in the center of the storm, I am still. Mm. I read that somewhere or saw that somewhere. And I did, um, I do like mixed media, you know, collage and painting and like three-dimensional found object stuff. Mm -hmm. um, Just as like a, you know, spiritual process for myself. And that was the focal point of one um, mixed media piece I did. I really I really connect to that. And I think that's such good medicine right now talking about the middle pillar. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly plenty of storm going on. So we really need as many, as many calm center eye of the storm uh, of us out there as can be, because there's, you know, at every turn, at every, uh, at every walk through every door, at every, you know, click of the mouse on a link, uh, you know, there, there's something waiting just on the other side of whatever it is to attempt to pull us to, you know, to, to one side or the other, or, or to get us caught up in the, in the maelstrom, uh, I think is a better word than what I would like to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, you know, so the more we the more we can anchor ourselves as, as these, these areas of light where, where it's just not quite so stormy, to be able to spread that peace, then, you know, the, the more beneficial and the more powerful it is. And, and, and it's so necessary right now because so many people are just reeling in so many ways that it's, you know, it's a little bit of a mess. It is. It's a, it's a duty maelstrom. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Duty maelstrom is definitely uh, much more kid friendly than. <laughs> um. We were going to talk a bit about alternate realities and how we experience them. Is mm. there something is there something you'd like to share about your experience with personal um, with alternate realities? My personal experiences are are somewhat limited, although I can tell you I did not I definitely did not grow up 
in a universe where there were Berenstain bears. That was not in my reality. <laughs> it was definitely Same. Berenstain and my my OCD loves to spell things properly brain could tell you that it was definitely an EIN situation when I was a kid. Agreed. So you know, very fascinating to me. A lot, some of the other, some of the other examples of that, I, I resonate with some of them. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I could have just remembered that wrong. I'm not sure. But, but the Berenstein Bears was very much a part of my childhood. And that one I can, can say with pretty good confidence that like, there's something screwy there. I don't know what it is, but it's, but it's weird. Um, <laughs> but the, one of the biggest things that I experience personally the most powerfully is just moments of real severe deja vu and i i have always experienced it more uh at times in my life when when like big pivotal moments are happening or big turning points are happening and so i i've gotten to the point now where like if i'm experiencing frequent deja vu then i know that like something something pivotal is coming up. Like I'm about to make a decision that's going to really alter things or, or something's going to happen. So that's been my most direct experience is, is the deja vu situation, which uh, years ago, I, I started developing this theory that, uh, that deja vu happens when so, you know, assuming that we have these multiple kind of realities, so there's these multiple timelines where, where we're there doing things. And no matter, how, no matter how different things get in any reality, there are certain, there are certain like markers or, or, or checkpoints that are going to happen no matter what. And I always, what I've always felt is that when we start getting close to one of those big checkpoints, it's like I can feel the multiple versions of myself converging. And that's when you start to get kind of, the, the lines start to get a little blurry because all of the paths are about to meet at this one point where this one big thing happens before they split off again. And totally. So you feel that that deja vu sensation is sort of like a warning system where maybe like um, approaching this crossroads and it's not like a maybe it's not a warning system but it's our sensory experience of approaching that um, force field almost yeah it's like a convergence it's like you know when the paths start to converge closer together before before these pivotal moments then it becomes easier and the lines get a little more blurred to be able to become aware of those other timelines is what it always felt like and still feels mm -hmm. like to me when that happens. So I've taken it, I've learned to kind of take it as a, a little bit of a warning system, if you will, um, just that something big is about to happen. Uh, not, not necessarily, you know, certainly not a warning of anything bad, just a, uh, you know, a, a precursor to big events. Um, but that's just been from my own observance. And then uh, there are certain teachings within the lineage that, that then verified that for me more or less and, and goes even further to say, and, and it actually connects to the major arcana of the tarot and, and the tree of life and the Kabbalah, which is why I thought this was also appropriate. Hmm. Tell us. So it's, 
I'll, I'll speak on it as best I can because I, I, I understand it somewhat, although there's still a lot of mystery around it um, in myself. It's a, a, my understanding is a little bit limited to be able to, uh, to express it, but so well. But when we talk about the, the parallel realities that are existing over top of each other, it's not an infinite amount. There's actually 22 of them. And in each of those realities, our, our brain and our nervous system are wired slightly differently to be in attunement with one of the archetypes of the major arcana. So, oh my gosh, my mind is blown. Right. <laughs> so there's a, there's a, there's a parallel reality where I'm experiencing life as the high priestess. There's an parallel reality where I'm experiencing life as the fool. There's a there's one where I'm experiencing strength. There's one for temperance. So, so at the same time, all of these archetypes are existing parallel to each other. And oh, I'm getting all tingly talking about it. Um, and uh, what we can do uh, through through meditation and awareness is start to actually open ourselves up to be able to bring those together. And the goal is to be able to bring in and embody all 22 archetypes in, in this life consciously. Okay. Ah. <laughs> I know, right? It's a, it's a lot. It's freaking awesome. And my head was like, ding, 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 ding. Um, I have so many things to, to say about that. Um, wow, my synapses are firing like crazy right now. So I had a chat with someone, I think it was episode four, where we talked about quantum forgiveness. And we blurted out collapsing the timelines to live your best life now. Yes, I listened to that one. I feel like this is exactly what we were trying to arrive at. Yeah, it's I mean, it's all the same. It's all the same goal. It's just different ways of wording it. But absolutely. What's also fascinating, just so you know, about the um, that episode, uh, I was listening uh, when, when Jonathan uh, introduced us and we started talking about doing the podcast. I thought, you know, oh, I, I would really like to hear uh, the podcast that you've done up until this point. So I was sitting one day and listening to all of them in a row. And after the one with Jonathan, you had mentioned the video that you guys did for the past the tarot. And I thought, oh, mm -hmm. he told me about that. I never got around to watching it. Let me go ahead and sit and watch it while I'm listening to these podcasts. And, and so then as I'm watching the past the tarot, you transition into episode four. And then as the video is going along and you're talking to the guest, um, I, I forget her name, I apologize. Uh, Mare. Yes. So as you're transitioning to her and starting to introduce her, you start talking about the fact that she's in the past, the tarot. And as you mentioned that she's the world <gasps> on the screen in front of me comes up her as the world. <laughs> I think it was oh, the world, wow. wasn't it? Yes. Yes. So it was this like goosebumpy moment of, and it, and it happened in a way that as like as she was coming up on the screen, I heard you start talking about the tarot, and I instantly was like, "Oh my God, that's her! She's going to say that this is her, the one that's on the screen in front of me." And then of course, and of course, it was. Um, so it was this really cool moment of uh, of just really uh, synchronous. Um, I don't know, tingly goodness. <laughs> I love that. Oh my goodness! Wow. Yeah. I I don't need. I'm just gobsmacked. I don't even know. I, there's so many things I'm just trying to process right now. Um, 
but let me let me root back to the deja vu for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I did speak before about this, and I think it was with um, Raven in the Raven episode, Raven Terrapins episode. Um, but I had a really powerful dream years and years ago, and it was just being in this like foyer and I remember the windows and the light and the way the floor looked and the feeling of being in this place. I didn't know where it was. And a few years ago, I went to Scotland right near Loch Ness. And as I was parking to go to this um, inn, I'm rounding the corner and I see these giant redwood trees and I start to feel like I'm leaving my body and I'm having this like severe deja vu experience where as I'm walking around the corner, I know what is going to be there and that this is the place in my dream. And it's like the dream's happening and I'm seeing it, but I'm in the dream. I was inside and I'm coming around the outside Mm. in the, in the current moment. And I'm saying to my partner, I know this place. I know what it's going to look like when we get in there. And it was just like, I felt like my legs were made of jelly. I could barely walk. It was crazy. So I wonder if that was an experience of like the timeline, like an Ouroboros, isosnosis kind of moment. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible. I, I, you know, there, I guess there's kind of in the same way that like there are different kinds of dreams, I suppose there's actually like different kinds of deja vus. And so, you know, it, it, it I suppose, depends. Um, but what, what could have happened is that, you know, you were, you had had this premonition, you know, I don't know. Uh, it could have been a premonition from your future self, or it could have been a tune in, from one of your one of your other timelines one of your other archetypes that maybe had gotten to that point first that's what i was going to ask is like what if myself as say the fool archetype um traveled to scotland at that time Mm -hmm. instead of taking a different path i was already in the uk maybe i was living there right I, i guess there's nothing specific although there is, uh, I, have, I have said many times, somewhat jokingly, but also a little bit uh, with a little bit of seriousness in it, that I still feel like uh, the the day after the election in 2016 that we actually like somehow entered a different timeline at that point. Like I, I, I did not, it, the world hasn't quite felt real since then. And I don't know if that's just shock or, or anything to put any value in, but um I don't know. That's something that's always kind of uh, bugged the back of my mind and has always been present there. And I haven't been able to quite shake, but, um, but more than that, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Any of the teachings I receive would, would say probably not necessarily, but, but I don't know. Wow. Do you feel like there was an event that happened that sort of caused the Mandela effects? I mean. I'm curious because I wonder if, because you're talking about the different paths and this is ancient knowledge. This isn't something that people in the computer age decided 
to make up about the Kabbalah and or the Tarot. So people in the modern age where we are looking at the Mandela effects or things kind of feeling out of out of um, synchronicity with with what we remember or varying events. Um, could it be that we just have the documentation and the cross-referencing to point these things out and bring them to our awareness where they might've been happening all along for millennia? Well, yeah, you I mean, it's saying? very possible that, you know, that, that that kind of thing has been happening for thousands of years. And, and like you said, yeah, there just wasn't the, there wasn't a Google search to, to verify it between, you know, between people across the world. Um, but yeah, right. and 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 then so if the, you know, if our individual consciousness uh, is experiencing all of these archetypes, what is the collective consciousness experiencing? You know, did did collective consciousness all at some point decide to just all tune into the tower at one time? Because <laughs> that would explain a lot. Yeah, it would actually, and that was the one event that sticks out in my mind, honestly, mm. um, as, as a possible um, ripple in the force, yeah. if you will, that um, I've wondered if maybe created or was a big component in creating this like direct disruption. Um, but for me, what stands out is because honestly, around that time, I was going through such personal upheaval that I can't distinguish if it was my own personal experience or if it was like a collective thing or, or both. Um, but right around that time, 2002 is actually when I began to feel it um, into 2003, the sun started to feel different to me. The, the emanation of the sun as a being as the way that the light was being emitted, everything about it started to feel different. It felt white versus yellow. It felt more intense. It felt um, like I wanted to hide from it. Interesting. And I, I still feel that way. I've become a shade dweller. I don't like to be in direct sun. It, it's almost like a panic feeling of like, I don't want, I have to get out of the sun. And I wasn't, I mean, I used to lay in the, in the sun, all of my, you know, first 25 years, loved being in the sun. I grew up in a pool mm -hmm. outside all summer long. And suddenly around 28, 29, I don't want to be in the direct sun. And it feels, um, I've heard other people say that the sun um, being has, has shifted its energy. I was just wondering if, and it seems to coincide with, with the September 11th, um, ish, but I was wondering if, if you have any experience with feeling that wave with the sun. Um, not that I've ever noticed, but, uh, at the time I was actually in New York city and was there for about 10 years after that. And we never really saw the sun there anyway. But uh, being a Florida boy, born and raised, uh, I, I still just love to be in the sun, you know, all the time as much as possible. 
but the 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 times that you're talking about around those years like the 2000 2002 there were several um there were several fairly major events that happened around those times uh that had to do with the lifting of the veils uh between the dimensions and so you know it makes sense that there was a lot of shifting energy around that point yeah one of the and one of the things that we can do um i I haven't actually taken the time to do it myself because it makes me a little cross-eyed um, to think about, but I, I want to try and get over that resistance and do it because it sounds really cool. But I have fellow initiates that have talked about doing it themselves is, you know, going into meditation and actually kind of going and checking on your other archetypes and like seeing how they're doing and seeing if any of them need support. That sounds awesome. So how would you go about doing that? Is there a specific method? That's a good question. Uh, uh, there's, there's a method uh, and a specific meditation that were handed down as initiates that's called a sanctuary meditation. And in, in that, we would go into our personal sanctuary, and that's where we can kind of directly commune with our higher self and, and kind of request that they uh, kind of take us to places and, and times and things like that. But I, I would imagine that, uh, you know, anyone could, could probably manage it in a way that feels right if you just get yourself into a nice meditative state and, and put the intention out there of, of traveling and connecting with, with your other archetypes. Um, the other thing that I have not taken the time to do, which I really want to at some point is also actually try and figure out which archetype I'm living right now. <laughs> right. I mean, do you feel like you could be like your consciousness could be hopping from one path to the other? Well, uh, in theory, yes, because as we do the work and start to um, the, uh, what were you called, Com compounding the timelines? Is that what you said? Collapsing, collapsing. yeah. So as you start to collapse them into one another, uh, you know, the goal is, is to make this consciousness start embodying all of them. So it could be that, right. you know, especially those of us that are on a path that are doing this work, you know, it could be that we've already collapsed some and we already have multiples in this consciousness. You were mentioning the dates around to that early 2000, around the early knots, which is fun. Surely knots. Right. Not, not, not a one or I guess it's just not one then, huh? Um, so in 1997, and then again in 2000, and again in 2002, there were specific dates when the layers of the veils uh, were, um, were lifted or, or, you know, went away. And in, normally when they talk about that, we're talking about the veils between the physical dimensions. So you know, the fairies, the elves, the magical beings, the dragons, all of them, uh, they, they removed themselves from our, our physical dimension, but just, you know, on the other side of the veils. So usually when we're talking about that, we're talking about that aspect of the veils. But I, I wonder if it doesn't also coincide with the, you know, some of the veils between the realities and, and, and having that get a little more blurry. I don't have any actual teaching on that to say for sure, but it's, a, it's an interesting thing to ponder. It really is. And um, when you say that they remove themselves from this world, the elves and fairies and dragons, the fae, um, were they ever here? 
in in the way that say our cats are? Supposedly, yes. Uh, they're they're uh, you know according to the teachings of the lineage, they they were here in the physical, and we were all living here together at one point. Uh, but humankind became a little you know, the, the energetically abrasive uh, beings that we are now, and it, it was no longer safe. Uh, well, in some, for some of them, it was no longer safe. For some of them, it was just no longer pleasant to actually be here in the physical. So that's when they, they went beyond the veils and separated themselves. So they're still, they're still here, but just, you know, tuned to that slightly different frequency to, to not actually be here in the physical. But the, you know, the prophecies and everything about the creation of Shambhala and having the, the beautiful paradise, peaceful world that we're trying to create uh, states that they will eventually uh, be able to return and be back in the physical with us again. I just got really sad feeling their loss, feeling that they had to leave. It's it's pretty sad stuff. And and with the history of it, I mean, they're, the, 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 the human race did some some very sad things uh, and, and, you know, committed some fairly atrocious acts uh, at points in our history that, you know, that culminated in, in that separation and, and of them, you know, retreating behind the veils. And, um, you know, there's a lot that we kind of have to make up for uh, in, in all of that in order to be able to make that peace where they feel safe enough to come back again. Have you ever had an experience with the fairy realm? Ish. I, <clears throat> so one of the, one of the challenges that I've always had to overcome is that I'm not a very visual person. I am very much clairsentient in the sense that I feel things physically and I'm very clairaudient in the sense that I hear things easily. Um, but, but receiving, uh, information as far as getting visions or anything like that has always been challenging for me. Um, that said though, I have, uh, I've often felt the presence of that, that kind of joyous, uh, bubbly energy. Uh, when I work with them, I, 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 I put a lot of effort into inviting them into my home and my space and my healing center, uh, for, for many reasons, uh, for the healing energy that they bring. Um, but also just for my own benefit to be able to experience it and also to, to create a safe space in which they feel comfortable being because I know that so much of our world is so abrasive to them. Mm. So I get to feel the presence uh, a good bit, but I don't often see anything. Uh, although there was a point uh, a while back when I was, uh, I, I, I have a little fairy altar on my back patio and I was kneeling at the fairy altar doing, uh, doing some of the work that I do with and for them. And I heard a noise, uh, there's, um, there's a building behind that you can see a little bit up through the trees. And I heard a noise and something caught my attention and I looked up and it, the best way I can describe it is, you know, when you look at something uh, really hot in the heat, that it's that kind of shimmer in the air above it. Mm -hmm. So I looked up and there, it, there was this moving shimmer that kind of went up and landed on that building and, and spent a few moments there before kind of moving off into the air and going away. And uh, I, my initial thought in that time, and I couldn't have told you why, uh, but uh, my initial thought was like, oh, that was a griffin. Um, hmm. 
But I, I wonder, looking back on it now, if it wasn't, you know, something more of a, a dragon type something or other. But I definitely got the impression, seeing that shimmer, that it, it had the shape of wings um, and four legs involved somehow. Um, and then I just, uh, I just recently uh, had an occasion to um, do some work with the, with the myrrh, with the aqua people and uh, was at a river doing a meditation and, and, and some ritual work. And in a, in a kind of a, a very honest uh, pleading moment from my heart, had a little bit of moment of like, hey, you know, I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying here. I got nothing, but I, I'm, I'm trying my hardest to make the connection. And I'm, I'm sorry that I'm not doing it better. And uh, at that moment across the other side of the river, I saw these three little splashes in a row and then and then the shape of some kind of uh, fin, tail, something flip out of the water and go right back in. Uh. So, you know, it, 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 could it have been a fish? Absolutely. Uh, could it have been something else? I don't know. But it was uh, the timing of it was definitely suspect to me. And it was it felt very um, poignant and powerful. Interactive. Yeah. But uh, it was a very interesting experience. Do you feel that the spirit realm, as far as, um, I don't know if I want to loop, lump all this together, but <laughs> say like shadow people and um, apparitions or otherworldly, um, like what people would call ghosts. Mm -hmm. And I think there's different levels of that also. Um, for me, I grew up in a really haunted house mm. and there were, how can I explain it? Like shimmers of memories that I could feel and experience in the house. And then there was also like sentient aware apparitions and, and specters that would torment me and also want to communicate with me. Um, and then there was like alien what I would call alien or interdimensional um, interactions. So there's all different types of this, what I'm calling like specters or um, spirit activity. But do you think that they occupy the same realm as what we're calling the fairy? Um, some of it potentially, but most of what we would consider to be ghosts or at least, you know, the, the, the souls and spirits of those who have passed on that just didn't move on the way that they were supposed to, they would be just kind of one, one separation away. Whereas the fairy and elves are the second separation away after that. And then dragons and, and more magical things like that are, are the third separation away. So the, so the first, that first dimension is very much overlapped with ours. Because when we're when we're here in density, we're we're on the 144,000th ray of creation, the the densest possible one. And then when we die, when we first die, we only go down to uh, 143,999. So that that you know that first time after we've passed is still very close to density, and that's so that first dimension is very much overlapped with ours. But the longer a soul stays here, the less it, you know, the the less dense it becomes and, and moves up those rays, 
So depending on how long that, that energy is around uh, would affect the density of it. And that's when that would be the difference between seeing what looks like a person that just isn't quite in the physical, but very much looks like a person and, and feels like it almost has something you could touch to it or feeling just something that's like a shimmery energy. Mm. Um, okay. But then when we get into the topic of something that might be, you know, galactic in nature, uh, that, that it gets a little, a little, I'm not sure about that. I, cause I know that they can be here on just a slightly different frequency, but I'm not sure like where that would fall, um, as far as the dimensions go. Right. I don't either. I've, I have all different kinds of experiences throughout my life and I need like a card catalog <laughs> or a librarian you know, to help me make sense of it all. And, or maybe not, I don't know, maybe it doesn't need to be cataloged and categorized, but it would sort of help me wrap my mind around a lot of the experiences that I've had. I think the, the mind wants to, you know, I mean, I'm all about systems. So I'm interpersonal systems, especially. So for myself, I do kind of want to catalog and categorize and define things, understand them better. But wow, yeah, super, oh, it was just 11-11 when I looked at the recording. I looked at it at the same I, moment. Oh, <laughs> weird. And I was I was looking down my, I have um, four cats. I, we just adopted a whole litter. So I have the girl, she's in front of me and I was just watching her, um, you know, do her thing. And then I just glanced up and it was 11-11. That's so cool. Um, Wow. I mean, I feel like I could ask you a million questions about everything that you're talking about. I just, um, I looked up your mind astrology during our last break mm. and I know you're a galactic dragon. Mm. So when you were saying um, the fairies and the elves and then the dragons and griffins are, um, you know, four, four layers out, um, I thought to myself, wow, here he is, this red galactic dragon telling me about the dragons. So <laughs> it's interesting because I'm a red, I'm a red tribe also. I'm a red moon, but um, there's five subsets or five, um, five ways that these tribes are, are manifesting. Mm -hmm. And the way that um, the way that I received information from the calendar, because it does like legit talk to me. And I asked it how I can understand the subsets better. They showed me the cycle of a seed, like the input, which is the first subset that you're in is like planting the seed. So in essence, you're a seed planter you're here to like embed in the earth something that will grow for yourself, for us, for the collective. And it sounds like the other dimensions and layers as well. That's what the dragon tribe and the three others that make up that input subset are doing. Well, wow. it's pretty cool. I know. Um, the, frequencies or the keywords of the dragon 
The action is to nurture. The power is birth and the essence is being. So how profound mm. that you're a meditation teacher and a mystic and all these mystery school, divine shamanic knowledge traditions. Um, and here you are holding the essence of being. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can't make this up. Oh. It's so perfect for you. And so the way that the um, Mayan astrology is, is broken down, there's the tribes and then there's the tones. Mm -hmm. And the tone is number eight, which is the galactic tone. And they've given all of the tones like a snappy new age name <laughs> to help convey the, the essence of what this tone uh -huh. is doing. So when they say it's galactic, um, it's really about integrity and it's really about harmonizing energy and um it is the the tone of integrity they call it hmm. so the way that i feel about the number eight tones is it comes just after the seven and the seven is the tone of um, being inspired by spirit so if you think of a 13 step pyramid seven is the mm -hmm. peak and the next step down is the eight so coming from that closeness to spirit and that connection to spirit, the eight says, how can I not be in my integrity now? Mm. I've, I've been to that connection with spirit. So everything, all the tones after seven to me have like seen the face of God. Mm. And now they're walking back down and, you know, walking their their path in a, in a different way, touched by that peak of the pyramid. That's kind of how I can explain it to you. But so, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful galactic signature, the red galactic dragon. Um, it's really beautiful. And the dragon is the first tribe. It's tribe one. Yeah. First of 20. And where does the, um, so the, the, the dragon is the tribe and the galactic is the, the tone and the tone. then what's the red um so the red is the colors in the tribes are understood um i could say galactic dragon and if you know the calendar you. you know it's red um it, it's it's important but it's like part of the tribe um the colors the color clans all kind of have a collective responsibility or a collective mission and we are united there. I'm a red moon. So all the red tribes, they call them the initiators. Okay. That's what the red, the blood clan actually is what it is. Um, and I could go on. It's, it's a really, it's a cool mystical system. Um, and if I had more time, <laughs> I could like add you, add your tribe and tone to like your partner or your mom or, and see what everyone creates together. Oh, um, I love doing the interpersonal with the mind astrology like that. And then there's different ways that all the tribes interact together. Um, the red tribes are complementary to the white tribes. 
the blue tribes are challenges to the red, um, but challenges that support, you know? So, yeah, just, but I, I just wanted to give you oh, a little thank taste. thank you. I love it. A little. Uh, what's also interesting is um, in the Kabbalah numerology, I also end up as an eight. And in that, it's weaving in uh, my my birth date uh, with my time, with my name, and all of that all comes out to an eight in that as well. So that's very interesting. Hmm. Absolutely. And that um, tone of integrity. And also, I see eight as an infinity. Mm. Yeah, it's the infinity loop. It's also, uh, so I've been a, a, a dancer most of my life. And, and the general joke is that dancers can only count to eight. So. Five, yeah, six, that's as seven, far as we eight. go. Everything after that is yeah. just, you know, we just start over again. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. And is is that how you met Jonathan through the theater? Uh, ish. Jonathan's partner James was the assistant stage manager for a show that I did last year. And uh and then we ended up meeting from that. Although once we got to know each other more, we found out that we uh, have worked at the same theaters, just not at the same times, and have a, a whole uh, a whole you know load of uh, mutual friends in common that we all know. So, um, so that wasn't the initial connection, oh uh, or at least not directly. But then once we found out that you know, then that all kind of fell into place. Still to this day, one of my top three favorite musicals was the Adams <laughs> Family, that Jonathan was dance captain. Oh, that's awesome. Four. So I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on something. Recently, I was doing a meditation with um, the earth consciousness, the earth being. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that most of us think of the earth as mother earth. And that's sort of like the, the popular way of, of looking at the planet as mother earth, father sky. Some hear that a lot. Um, and when I tuned into the earth recently, um, it was a male. And he was urging me to look at the planet in its divine masculine form right now. Mm. And it was a little shocking because I never occurred to me. And it gave me a, f a flash of all this information. And it showed me how the, and I don't mean to rant, but the, oh. the, pa the patriarchal system mm -hmm. has been kind of rowing the boat for a while. And it's abusive to the feminine energy. And that sort of, um, it has been um, allowed and even celebrated, right? Mm -hmm. And the planetary energy was telling me, if we don't look at the earth as a female energy, as feminine, it can't be abused in that way. By shifting it to a male energy, it sort of takes that dynamic out where 
humanity maybe like in its in a collective male energy is you know raping abusing destroying um treating poorly the earth energy the earth as as a home if you mm. think of it as a as a male can that dynamic exist and it was telling me to shift my thinking around it do you follow me yeah yeah i mean it's a very interesting way to look at it uh and and it's it's completely valid because uh everything everything in our world and our universe we're we're in a universe of of duality and polarity and so everything has gender uh is one of the hermetic principles that we operate on and uh, that also means that everything has aspects of both gender because if if anything is all one or all the other then then there's no creation it can't happen so we us as us as human beings and everything in the physical world uh at least anything that's alive has has both energies happening to some varying degrees you know maybe it's a maybe it's a 70-30 maybe it's a 60-40 um it's never going to be a 50-50 because it's stagnation but but maybe it's a 49-51 who knows uh but so that includes the earth and so we you know we're we're very it's very prevalent to work with mother gaia when we talk about the earth but uh there's also the male counterpart of that energy uh which in most traditions is usually referred to as the green man or hern the hunter or kurnunos or all just different names for that energy but it's that ancient earth energy but just the male aspect of it it's so interesting that you that you call out Kernanos by name because in the Harvest Moon show last night on Lighting the Void, I talked specifically about doing um, work with the Dark God and called him Kernanos and talked about my experiences with him in Glastonbury at the White Spring and at the tour. So it's a palpable, interactive male energy. Yeah. Um, ready for us to tap in and work with. And um, I love that you brought that up. Yes. It's, it, it did feel like the green man, but um, more specifically for me, it's, it's Kernanos that shows up. But it, but yeah, it's, uh, it's that, it's that really ancient, really powerful, really deep, deep underground uh, primordial uh, masculine force energy of the earth um, that is very, uh, very present. I mean, when we look at the, the properties of earth, like, yes, we always talk about the, the feminine, the receiving, the form properties of the earth, but there are also forces of earth that are, that are active, that are, uh, you know, the force uh, aspect of the energy. Um, and this actually, uh, this actually touches on and gets into a, a lot of the uh, the Kabbalah. Was uh, it weird to say this? Weird way to say that. Uh, the Kabbalistic energies. Um, you know, this is a, a lot of those teachings are in there as well. But it's it's very much uh, an aspect of it. And and you know, a lot of what has happened in uh, in a lot of spirituality and a lot of New Age has been you know, in order to bring balance to the situation, because yes, we can all acknowledge that there's a serious imbalance. Um, but the, the answer isn't to 
knock down and destroy the masculine energy uh the answer is to build up and bring up the the feminine to to balance it mm-hmm. i agree and also acknowledging the sacred androgyne well, yeah i mean so uh my my sphere that i come in on when i said my kabbalistic number was an eight so that's the sphere of hode and the 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 symbol of hode is a hermaphrodite so it's mm-hmm. the it's the it's the balanced weaving of both energies together in order to create the highest uh, highest amount of good and the most magic. How can we find out which sphere is our sphere that we come so, in on? So that's uh, you just do the numerology of your name, your date of birth, and your time of birth in military time. And when you when you do all that numerology all together and break it down to its lowest denominator number, that is the uh, that is the sephira that you were born through. So the name that you were born with. Well, yes, to start with, although, you know, like for for people who change their name or get married and change their name, um, that it does alter the energy. So it's worth doing both to see. Um you know, uh, how much you shifted your energy when a name change might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for me as a ritual master, we have an archetypal energy that we, that we work with. That's a specific God or goddess. And so for us, what's worth doing is then doing that same numerology with the name of our archetype and then seeing how that shifts our energy and now what Sephiroth we're working in. So, so you'd be an eight and then mm-hmm. say you're doing a ritual with, I don't know, um, Bastet, for example, the Egyptian cat goddess. Mm-hmm. You would factor in Bastet and then see what number it comes up? Well, for me, it's, it's, it's one specific energy that I constantly uh, embody. So for me, it's an Egyptian creator god. Interesting that you chose Egyptian. Uh, his name is Ptah. So for mm-hmm. me, it's about redoing my numerology with the name Ptah instead of my own name. And, and then it's inter- that, that actually puts me in uh, Bina, which is the number three. So it takes me from uh, Hode, which is the, uh, the spear of the splendor of the mind. And with that image of the hermaphrodite and weaving those masculine and feminine energies together evenly. And it, then it puts me up into Bina, which is the sphere of the divine mother of, of like the true essence of the divine feminine. Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting um, combination of things, uh, you know, with me and my energy. And it also makes a lot of things really make sense. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, that figures. <laughs> so you would take your name out and put Pata in into your uh-huh. birth time and birthday. Yeah, so I do I do the bata wow. that but then with my same birth date and birth time and that's what puts me in the different sphere. Mm, that's so interesting. So you just take your name out of it like you're fully aspecting this god essence. Correct. Oh, I love it. Ooh, I just got chills up my I always get chills up the back of my legs when something mm-hmm. is really um I don't know, sparkly to me. Interesting. Uh, Yeah, mine is uh, mine's along the back of my neck and the back of my arms. Um, And I've been on the verge of those tingles almost the entire time we've been talking. So (laughs) (laughs) 
on the verge of tingles. Yeah, like they're always just like right there ready to pop out and be like, oh, tingles. Yes, I love it. Um, so do you have any other, any other um, thoughts or insights or suggestions for our listeners and me to work on healing the balance work on um you said uplift the the feminine but i often think of how we as a society need to uplift and heal the masculine well, yes, and, and it really comes down to understanding. The more we can really actually get to know and understand the different energies and work with them more fully, then, then it becomes more clear that, you know, that that aspect of masculinity that is currently kind of, you know, the overpowering force is, is such a distortion of the true energy. And when we really start to, to clarify that and get to know what the energy actually is and how it actually works, then it, it brings in a whole different appreciation because there is nothing in the true essence of divine masculine energy that discourages showing emotions. There is nothing in that energy that is uh, you know abusive or degrading or overpowering the true essence of the energy is protecting and supportive and 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 very nurturing if you know if you think about the most like awesome loving father that you've ever known in your life when they're really doing when they're really embodying that energy fully it's not macho it's not abrasive it's not that typical you know behavior that we associate with masculine energy it's it's gentle it's kind it's powerful but it's protective and supportive and it's there to protect and support the other energies around it um and then when we start to understand the feminine energy uh more then we start to appreciate how much power and and strength is in it because you know the the analogy that gets used a lot is you know if if the, if we're talking about a river and a dam, the, the force of the flowing water of the river is the masculine energy, but then the dam is the feminine energy that's creating the container for the energy, for the masculine energy to flow into that then can make something useful out of the energy because the river just flowing, you know, raging on its own is, is powerful, but not productive. And it requires the dam to, to, to contain it and then electricity can be generated. And in that analogy, which is stronger, the river or the dam? I don't know. I, I'm like anti-dam because I, <laughs> I was like immediately triggered. I'm like, no, no, I don't want the dam. I don't want the dam there because I've always thought of like the river wants to flow free and I think of the feminine more as the ocean receiving the river and having the salt water mingle with the fresh as like the river brings its freshness and perspective and the ocean receives it and doesn't judge it. And I don't know, that's how I, I've like romanticized, I've written poems about the river receiving the ocean. <laughs> like, 
I don't. So, um, I, well, that's also totally valid, though. Yeah, I I hear you. I'm I'm trying to get neutral enough to look at the dam, but. <laughs> Well, let's well let's let's be a little bit less analogy about it, and let's talk a little bit more, um, you know, actual physical stuff. If we're talking about the process of creation for humans, uh, the force energy that comes out of a man, the ejaculate, if it's just on its own and flying all over the place, nothing's going to happen, right? Nothing gets created; it's just force energy on its own. It requires the container of the womb for it to be turned into something. Right. I get you. Um, and, uh, and as uh, Barbara loves to point out, and she'll probably strangle for me for saying this in such a public forum, um, the, the, the parts, the physical parts we're talking about in, uh, in a male or a female, you know, which one of those is stronger? Because on a male, it takes a very small flick of a finger to send us into a serious amount of pain. Whereas the female aspect of that can withstand a huge amount of, um, well, force, for lack of a better word, and still be fine. So, right. You know, I mean, so which one's stronger? Well, going in and coming out. Yeah, all of the above. Like it withstands so much more. Whereas, whereas our part of that, uh, yeah, no, there's there's no withstanding anything. <laughs> Like if you want to take somebody out, it takes a very small tap to to make that happen. Mm, there was a, um, a quote from Betty White, and she said, why do we keep calling, um, you know, saying that so-and-so has balls, quote unquote. Uh-huh. Um, but we should say that they have, you know, strong vaginas or something because they can take a beating, something like that. Uh, have you ever I'm watched not... the show The Magicians? Oh gosh, I feel like I have. Um, Was there's that a Quint Quentin. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the one. Yes. Um, yes. There's a character on there uh, named Margot, and uh, she's amazing. It's a wonderful actress playing a wonderful character that's just a blast. And uh, at one point. Um, you know, she's trying to encourage one of the guys to do something. And she says, she was like, oh man, are you going to nutsack out on me? Looks at her quizzically. It was like, I don't like, what, what did you just say? And he was like, oh, because, uh, you know, I won't say the actual word, but you know, like, oh, cause vagina out makes so much more sense. Um, and at one point even says something like, oh yeah, you know, you know, you better vagina up and do this. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, she's, I, I do remember her and she is such a strong character with oh, so yeah. much sad also like i honor her for her directness mm -hmm. the way that she just tells it like it is and shifts that paradigm yeah. unapologetically and you that's know? you know when we talk about the feminine energy that's what we need to understand is that there is nothing weak there is nothing timid and there is nothing mild inherent in the feminine energy what it is is the like you said with the ocean, it's not going it, to, it's receptive, but receptive is not weak and, and receptive is not necessarily passive. It's just receptive. You know, we, we tend to automatically associate, you know, one as being more powerful than the other, uh, just because, uh, you know, that, that kind of that thinking of the either or and that kind of dual thinking, but really, you know, they're equally powerful in, uh, except that the feminine is probably just a little bit more powerful. It kind of has to be, but 
you know, but it, but it's, it's really so balanced in the way that it's meant to be. Um, but we, we tend to just naturally as humans want to think that, oh, like, you know, active means better than passive and, and, you know, uh, the, the force seems like it's better than form, but really there, that's, there's nothing in the energy that says any of that. They're, they're equally necessary. And wholly complementary. Yeah. For sure. I, I'm hearing in my head, what are modern day men so afraid of? <sighs> well, it's a lot, I guess, you know, there's, there's so much, there's so much programming and there's so much, um, you know, training that, that we go through. And, and I even, you know, granted, I, I kind of said, screw it to a lot of it early on in my life and, and went and, and, you know, spent my life as a dancer instead of playing sports. And, uh, you know, I, I came out in my teenage years and said, I'm, you know, I'm having none of this, none of this stuff you call dude. Um, but even, even I, with all of that, you know, kind of renegade behavior, so to speak, still, uh, had a lot of clearing up, uh, and distortion around what masculine energy meant to me, because what I saw was such a distorted version of it that then I just decided that I wanted none of it and did my best to do everything to be away from it. And, mm. and that's not to say that I, you know, that, that, that had, a, that affected my, my personal choices in any, in any way, as far as, you know, who I sleep with or anything like that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't feel like that was anything that was distorted, but it definitely in my behavior and in the way that I approached the world made me want to behave as little like that as possible. And once I was able to realize that, then I was able to make a lot more peace with myself and be like, Oh, it's okay. I don't have to not behave a certain way. I just have to be me. Be authentically yourself. Yeah. With exactly, I I can't agree with you more. And I feel that we as a society have to normalize everyone having feelings and emotions, and like what we were talking about at the top of the show, where people are um, expressing affection through jabs and mocking and cruelty and even um like i'm anti-tickling myself <laughs> and when i went to massage school um one of our teachers told us when people are uncomfortable with touch they call it tickling and oh. he said that right so a lot of people when we would get to the abdomen would start to, Oh, that tickles. That's, you know, and they're squeamish and uncomfortable. And you could see that there's a fear around vulnerability. Mm. There's probably some sexual abuse there. There's issues around that abdomen area for sure. And, you know, the body houses, 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 Girl, I'll house you. Um, houses are um, are subconscious and it's irrational, you know. So there's just we feel what we feel, and, and it's going to come out how it comes out. And that tickling response, that feeling ticklish, is like a natural defense mechanism of this not okay. 
Mm. And, and I try to be an, an advocate for no tickling. So a child is smaller than usually the person who's tickling them. Mm. And you have this bigger person looming over you, tickling you and your most vulnerable parts. Mm. And if there's not ultimate trust there, that can feel overwhelming and invasive. And it's, it's normalized. Children are supposed to be like, ha ha, it's funny. Like you're joking. You're mm-hmm. poking me here and you're, you're giggling, but is it nervous laughter? Is it, uh, you know, I would leave my body when people tickled me. Yeah. I remember hovering over myself as a child and watching people, I would just completely disassociate and leave my body because it felt so overwhelming. And no one ever spoke to that before, except this was the first time with this massage teacher. And he told me that he normalizes um, hugging and patting his child on the, on the front instead of like coming up and like tapping him on his back. He showed us how he like gently comes in the front and just like kind of like rubs his, you know, upper chest and like upper abdomen gently like hey guy how are you you know like i'm i'm touching mm-hmm. you gently here instead of always making it like a pat on the back it's just so much awareness around respecting others boundaries yeah and um being aware of how people kind of um invade each other's space mm-hmm. un- unknowingly un- unwillingly and having um I just want people to have more awareness around, around tickling because I've, I've gotten some stink for talking about it. People are like, Oh, it's just tickling. You're so sensitive. You know, I get, I get that. Well, it's, it, it, it is potentially either or both. It, it really depends on the situation. It depends on the person or the child. It, you know, I, I have witnessed, uh, you know, forms of tickling with like my niece or my nephew where, I mean, I can say, honestly, in my heart of hearts, I feel like there was no discomfort there. Like they were just had their heads thrown back in a very joyous laughter. But there's a line that can be crossed and and not every child is going to enjoy that. Like I definitely remember as a child myself that like my little brother would love it and I did not. You know, I was very much the this I don't really understand how this is fun kind of feeling, um, whereas he just seemed to be in in full joy over it and and would, you know, would like ask for it to be done again. Um, so I, I, I think everything you're saying is perfectly valid. I, I don't know that it's a, you know, a super black and white area, but then, of course, you know, what is. Um, exactly. But, but having the awareness of, of who you're with and, and whether or not they're actually comfortable with what you're doing is so valuable to anything that we do. <laughs> right. Exactly. Maybe I just am asking for people to the, the assumption, yeah. you know, uh, taking away that, I don't know, maybe just being in the present moment and listening, really like seeing with your own eyes in the present moment, what feels right, even though maybe it's just supposed to be a given, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I don't think that that's something that ever should be assumed. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's touching first of all of any kind. Uh, and it's also touching a very potentially vulnerable area. 
and and eliciting an emotional response and like all of those three things should involve consent <laughs> absolutely wow yeah i agree and um the last thing i want to say about that is for me i have such a a supersonic um smell sense of mm. smell that i feel and sound also i'm sound sensitive but my scent my sniffer is off the charts <laughs> and um sometimes i'll i'll get like that clear sense clear scent i'm not sure what it's called uh it has an actual name but we jokingly call it clear sniffians clear sniffians yeah <laughs> it it's often unpleasant when that kicks in i don't know why it's very seldom like roses it's usually in a reading and I'm like, oh, why am I smelling this? You know, and they're like, oh, that's because, and they tie it together. But I'm like, oh, why do I have to smell this? <laughs> it's usually not pleasant. But um, scent and sound feels like such an a non-consensual experience for me. Mm. I just walk into a room and someone's smoking cigarettes and I'm like, oh, the air we're sharing it. I didn't have a say in it. I yeah. have, you know what I mean? If someone wears perfume. Oh yeah. Um, the cologne gets me. That's a hard, like sometimes like, Oh, that's abrasive. Like it's, it's like, a, it, it's like a smack in the face sometimes. Yeah. And same with sound. Mm -hmm. If someone's blasting music and I'm, you know, in that area or walking by or living with them or something. Um, and you're sound sensitive. It's a non-consensual experience. It's just, um, living life as a highly sensitive person is such a trip. And yeah. I don't know a lot of my clients want to get more sensitive and I'm like, do you really careful what you wish for? <laughs> do you really want to be more sensitive? I don't know. I, um, <laughs> one of the real challenges, like I, it, a real challenge for me not to go into some serious judgment about it and and cast some real dispersion on a person is if it is a nice beautiful quiet day and i hear your motorcycle start up and just assault my ears with that battery of noise like they they are so loud and you can hear it for miles away and and i i'm i'm better about it now but ooh they used to fire me up something good <laughs> motorcycles don't bother me as much because i associate them with fun moments of hearing them as a child and ah. thinking of it like summer's here. Um, it doesn't bother me if it's not that close up. Um, jazz music can't handle that. <laughs> I have literally almost jumped out of a moving car to avoid music and being played in the car. That was jazz. Oh, that's funny. Mm hmm. And that's a whole other story. Any things that are um, ongoing and upcoming that you want to share with our yeah. listeners? So uh, I do a, a weekly online meditation on, uh, on the good old Zoom uh, every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, that is uh, the Max Meditation System, which is the technique that I'm certified to lead, is uh, is a really beneficial tool, not just for uh, people who have been meditating uh, all their lives to go deeper, 
but uh, it's especially useful for people who want a stronger meditation practice and have struggled in the past. I've had I've had people come in for their first meditation who have never sat down to meditate ever before and are able to sit successively for an hour meditation, which is a, a huge accomplishment in my mind. Um, so that's a, uh, that's the thing I do every week. It's ongoing. Uh, and it's a wonderful opportunity, especially since I'm sure many people listening are going to be in all kinds of different places, um, to log in for that and, and, uh, and get a little extra peace and, and clarity, uh, which is, you know, in such rare supply in the world right now. How do we find that meditation on Zoom? So uh, my website, loganlightcenter.com, uh, there is an events page. So it's loganlightcenter.com slash events, or you can go to the main page and, and click on it. And there's a calendar that the, uh, uh, all the meditations are listed on there as well as anything else that's happening. And if you click on the meditation Mondays uh, on the calendar, then with the information page is a direct login link that takes you right into the Zoom meeting. So it's really easy to do. And, uh, and that's a weekly thing that I, that I love doing. And I, uh, I've been really um, honored to do it. That's actually how Jonathan and I connected um, as strongly as we did was he started coming to my meditations and then, uh, and then the whole relationship developed from there. And, uh, and then the other big thing that I, I feel like is really important is uh, my aspect of it is the awakening, the divine masculine. Uh, it's a monthly event on the first Wednesday of the month uh, at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, that's for men only. And it's an opportunity for us to work with a different uh, God each month uh, and the different energies that all the different gods represent. So we actually did Kernunos uh, back in the spring and, you know, and, and, and brought in and learned about the different aspects, uh, aspects of the divine masculine energy that that he brings in and represents. And so we can anchor that for, for the planet, really, we're anchoring it for everyone. Um, but it also gets to directly benefit our lives. And we do a little bit of learning about the deity, then we'll do a little bit of ritual, uh, like an invocation or two to really bring in and anchor the energy. And then we'll do a nice meditation to connect even more powerfully with it and, and give it some, some takeaway. So there's some nice personal connection there for, for the men to receive some benefit. And uh, then the, the other half of that is the Goddess Awakening, which is operated by our sister center, Limitless Light, down in Naples. And they do a different goddess each month. Um, theirs is at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, and so, and we always choose the god and goddess to be in the same pantheon. So next week we're doing uh, Vishnu for the god and, and they're doing Kali for the goddess. Um, last month we did Zeus and Hera. Um, so they're always, they're not always consorts, but they're always in the same pantheon. So it's similar energies that we're working with. So we're anchoring the masculine energy here. They're anchoring the, the feminine energy there. And, and it really helps to try and balance and weave them together. And, uh, mine are all listed on loganlightcenter.com for the website and, uh, limitlesslight.com is their site. And, and, um, I believe I even have links to their event on my site as well. So you can find it all in the same place if that's easier. But those are the two most important things. I feel like the meditation, being able to have that, that peace and, uh, you know, especially for all of us that are into spirituality and, and magic and the working of magic, you know, the, the cleaner and purer our mind is, then the cleaner and purer and more powerful our magic is going to be. So that meditation aspect is really important. And, and we talked so much about the balance of the, the, the masculine and feminine energies and how important repairing that balance is. Um, so that the, the divine masculine 
and the goddess awakening, I think are also really important. Those are also on zoom. So anybody can log into them from wherever they are. Such good works. I love that you are anchoring the divine masculine and simultaneously um, there's a sister center working with the goddesses. It was so great. Check it out, everybody. It's been such an amazing, effortless chitty chat. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Charlie, so much. And I hope we can connect again. I look forward to our next chat. Please, by all means, I would love to. I'm going to check out your website and see what calls to me. I'm so interested in so many things that you touched upon. So thank you for your works and for you being your galactic red dragon self <laughs> and fellow Cancerian in the tropical. I totally honor you and oh. I wish you all the best. Thank oh, you. You're most welcome. Thank you as well. I appreciate it. Ahuiho. Aloha. Oh. Thanks for stopping by. This is Naviate Olora. I am a natural born clairvoyant medium and a lifelong experiencer of the weird. I am a certified energetic herbalist, a Reiki master teacher since 1999, a pagan priestess, a world traveler, and a wandering witch. I have over 29 years experience with divination and the tarot. I offer psychic tarot readings and mediumship, Akashic records, past and parallel life consultations via phone, video call, or transcript readings. I offer mind astrology, charts, relationship readings, and witch school. Check out my Patreon page at patreon.com backslash a wandering witch. Consider becoming a patron to support me and my works and this podcast and to receive all sorts of goodies like the Cauldron Raffle where you get a chance to win a free reading each full moon, personal monthly clairvoyant tarot readings, new moon astro tarot forecasts with actual sky awareness, mind astrology wave spell updates, full moon Reiki ritual boosts with guided meditations and sound healings, and the Magi Witch School. Plus, bonus podcast content only available to my patrons. Check out my website, awanderingwitch.com. Follow me on social media, on Facebook at awanderingwitch, and on Instagram at a double underscore wandering double underscore witch. A big thank you and musical credit goes to Julia Kulmas. A shout out to my patrons. Your support means the world. And a big thank you to all of you for listening. Ahooey ho, witches. Until we meet again, stay weird. <laughs> <laughs>